1: Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I've got a lot of things I want to ask you and talk to you about today. All sorts of ideas swirling around about teaching and learning and what that looks like in the classroom.
0: I love it when we have these kind of off-the-cuff conversations and it's what's really on your mind, Amy, and we don't have to stick to a certain script because of someone that we're interviewing. So I am interested in finding out what's on your mind. I think today we're going to talk about growing, improving, and perfecting one's craft. And I know that we'll never reach perfection, but it's something that you always want to strive for, right? And that's what keeps us growing and keeps us learning. As a matter of fact, I'm taking a certificate program this year, online teaching and learning. Not like I need some more credentials. Yeah. But, you, you know, know why
1: you need more time. <laughs> right.
0: Right. But you know what? Here it is. And I didn't have time, but it's because I spend so much time doing other things that I don't have time for myself. So in taking that on, I said, this means there's time for me and I am Forced to carve out time for me to do some more research, to do some study, do homework, and grow in the area of online teaching and learning. And that's one of the areas that I thought that I was doing well in. As long as I was ahead of my students, I thought I was doing really well. And I'm kind of self-taught where it comes to technology. I'll see you do something, see someone else do something that's like, oh, I'll do that too. And that's kind of how I've learned to integrate technology. But now with remote learning, we're at a whole new level now. So exactly. I really needed to up my game and I really just needed to grow in my craft. And so I wanted to do talk about being a reflective practitioner because that's really important to me. And part of how we grow in our craft, oftentimes we don't take enough time to do that. Looking back at the work how we consider how we could have done better. So I kind of want to explore
1: that. I think that carving out time, like you've done with the online teaching and learning, or carving out time to move that knowledge that you have forward in some way is where we grow professionally and personally. I remember having two summers in which I carved out that time and it sounds so strange to say carve like it's turkey, but it really is. It, it, it's, it's a matter body of body how body 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 do you time it doesn't time. exist. It doesn't exist unless you make it exist. And so there were two different summers in which I took a course or facilitated a course with a writing project. Summer institutes in which I learned, we looked at standards, we aligned them with our assignments but that's all fine and good that wasn't the part that was so fulfilling the part that filled me were the professional conversations but also the personal writing we had writing groups we weren't just creating assignments we weren't just writing poetries as an example of poetry in the classroom we went on excursions we walked all around Louisville. We got in our cars and went to different places that were civil rights related. And so we would stop and we would write then we would share our writing. We came back. We had a bigger product that came from this experience. And it was amazing to have that space to create to have time for ourselves and just like you've made this time to take this course making that time to take a course or to do a summer institute it seems like wow how can I do one more thing my brain needs a break but that's not really what my brain wants my brain doesn't want a break it needs a shift
0: it needs a shift it needs the space to grow
1: yes We don't necessarily need to continue always making lesson plans or always doing those writing assignments that the students are doing. We need a different, we need to shift into a different space. We need to let our minds be free to learn something different. We can't just veg. And I think that's where our tiredness makes the decisions for us often rather than making the best decisions, like what we're going to do with that block of time over the summer.
0: And you have to have time to do that. And when I say time, that doesn't have to be a lot of time, right? It can be a walk. And I found myself doing that a lot this summer, just taking time for myself. Maybe it's an hour of a walk to really reflect on some of the things that I've done. How can I do it better? One thing in particular Amy, because I want you to talk about the importance of modeling. And I, and I learned this from you this summer. I was teaching a methods course, a middle grades methods and science and the work that I received from the student, there was a lot of technology involved. They submitted their work, their portfolio. And I was disappointed, not because it wasn't good, But I was disappointed because it looked like work that I received 10, 15 years ago. They use YouTube videos and they use PowerPoint, which is all well and good and things that we continue to use. But it wasn't any different. And so I was disappointed. I was disappointed in myself and I didn't know. And I was the common denominator, right? Because I was disappointed in all of their work because it was a reflection of what I had taught. And so I reached out to you and I reached out to Dr. Ping, who's an instructional technologist. It's like, why did I get this? Why did I get these results? And your feedback was powerful. You said, number one, did you model for them? Was your rubric different than what it was before or did your rubric look the same? Did you say, well, no PowerPoints or no this or no that? Did you put some more parameters around it? How did you guide them to the point of where you wanted them to be? And I had to look at myself and examine myself and I say, well, the rubric wasn't that much different. So that's why I said I needed to be able to evolve. I needed to be able to evolve to the level of where I wanted them to be, but more importantly, in my demonstration and in my modeling, they should have learned what to do from me. How important is modeling?
1: I think reflecting is where that key piece is. Whenever you said... What did I do? How was, well, you started the conversation. It's like, why aren't they turning something in that's different? This was from 10 years ago. The same example, because you sent an example of 10 years ago and you sent an example. Of current. Look, they look the same. Why don't they look different? What are they not doing here? But then looking back at what we're asking is a very reflective practice. It's like whenever we come back and put the mirror up and say, well, did I ask for something different? Or did I show them what I was looking for? Now I will have to say in fall 19, it was the first time I did a particular kind of project in children's literature. And I'm gonna talk about the university course for just a second. It was the first time I said, hey, we're going to have these projects. It needs to have some different genres of books, different book types. It can be around a a certain theme. Pick a theme that is very important to you, important to the community, important to children. And through the process of selecting this theme, they came up with things like acceptance for different disabilities or being an individual and how important it is for children to see themselves in books, so diversity and we invited another class to see the projects and they interacted with one another and they had interviewed people in the community like i didn't put those parameters on the projects necessarily i had guidelines and we talked about what they might look like it was new that wasn't necessarily a model that i could provide for them I can provide something now for these future groups because we took pictures and we video recorded. It was something that they were passionate about. So there's one piece to think about is, is a student passionate about what you're presenting to them? Does the assignment relate to them in some way that they can just take it and run? Whenever I was teaching eighth grade, I would get a few products that were lackluster and not exactly what I had intended for them to turn in. And again, turning that mirror on myself, saying, what in the world happened here? Why, why did this fall apart? And very often, especially in this one particular situation that I can think of, there was just a bit of scaffolding that was missing. Whenever I asked students to get engaged in this project, they had to do multiple different things. They had to look online for resources. They had to interview somebody in the community. They had to look at published material. And these are eighth graders. So interviewing someone in the community, that doesn't play out very well if they don't know what to ask that person or they don't know who to ask. So One thing I put into place when I saw it was not quite going in the direction I wanted it to was, okay, who can answer the question that you are presenting, that you are researching here? Who can answer that question? Who is someone local? I had a couple of fellows who were researching the internet and why it was blocked. Why were certain sites blocked in middle grades? That just didn't seem fair. They talked to the district technology person. I helped them come up with questions that would guide those interviews. And so that little piece that had been missing before, we talked about, it's like, what kinds of questions would you ask this person?
0: So yeah. it sounds like, so you're learning something from that first experience of exactly. what worked and what didn't work, where when your reflective thinking came in. And I guess you took that to know, well, what do you need to do more as the teacher that's going to guide them more? It sounds like there was an awakening of their critical thinking skills. You gave them more liberties and what they were able to do. It's interesting, how do teachers evolve from one level to the next level to the next level of being able to get the students to where they want them to be? What's that process for you, Amy? What is it like for you after you teach something or create an experience? I know that you create an experience of immersion clinical experience. So what is that experience for you after you've implemented something, you receive the result, and then what happens?
1: Wow, Going from teaching eighth grade to teaching children's literature to freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors in college, and teaching pre-service teachers in their methods classroom, I don't think the process looks different. I think when when we step back and look at what the results are, we'll probably find that if students are passionate about the topic, about the subject, but also about the topic you're presenting, if there's some choice. So I think about that. Did I provide some choice? Did I provide some opportunities for authentic and real-world experiences? In eighth grade, They had that project before where they did some research online. I added that part about interviewing somebody in the community that put them outside of the four walls and had them talking to the real, real individuals. So that real world experience, I thought I'm not getting very authentic projects. This, this doesn't seem real to them. It doesn't seem real to me in the children's lit class. They reached out to the community. They saw issues that were real. Is it a problem with bullying? Yes. So they found children's books that had those kinds of subjects that children could relate to, some informational text. They interviewed people in the methods classroom. Were they just, and you might laugh at this, were they just reading about theory or were they seeing that theory implemented in the classroom in real ways? Were they able to engage and interact with students? We had in that immersion, we had high school students come and give feedback to our candidates on their projects. They had assignments. They were like, yeah, I want to do this assignment with my future high school students. And the high school students said, well, That would be better if, and fill in the blanks. They talked about group work. They talked about authentic learning. And that's what we need to remember. Are we providing choice and authentic learning for our students?
0: So how, when you're training teachers, And I know we want to train them to be reflective practitioners. Sometimes that's something, a skill that we have to learn. And I think part of that is really assessing yourself and accepting criticism from others, being a good listener. And how do you teach them to kind of pivot when they receive this type of feedback? So they receive feedback from students that they were engaged with. So how do you teach them? that it's okay to pivot. And sometimes that means changing your lesson plans, right? That means changing your unit plan or changing your lesson plan and being able to pivot to make it more authentic and meaningful for that learner.
1: Video recording yourself really can point out some interesting things. First of all, you yourself have to model that pivot. Like if something didn't work in the classroom, I have to own it. I have to say, wow! I I didn't give those directions very clearly, did I? You know, how can I expect my candidates to pivot and make a diff- make a change in their instruction? But it's so I-
0: easy to continue to keep doing what you were doing, right? I mean, it's so easy to stick to the lesson plan, or when it's time for you to teach it again, to teach it the same way and to do the same things. That just makes it so easy when you can just do what you've done in the past.
1: Well, of course. I know that there are probably file cabinets with um, lesson plans and worksheets that can be copied year after year. And maybe I have a few in my back pocket that just are really tried and true. But what is it that can make the difference? We have a, an analysis protocol that we use for video recordings, whether they're watching their, themselves present lessons to classes or whether they are watching a pre-recorded video of a teacher, they need to look at some very, they're somewhat concrete, I think. How does that teacher demonstrate a mutual respect for or a rapport with the students? How are they responding to the different students in the classroom? Are there certain groups that in the classroom that they have their backs turned toward? What about the instruction that engaged students in those literacy skills? Were there explicit connections in the video that they are watching between new learning and prior academic learning? What about the questioning strategies that they used? When we provide specific protocols and look fors, so to speak, in our observations, whether it's of ourselves or another teacher, We prompt that reflective thinking. I had, uh, when I was teaching eighth grade or I was teaching high school, I always had a cooperating or a collaborating teacher. And sometimes it was you teach, I teach, or it was that peer relationship in the classroom. But sometimes one of us would sit back and just observe what the other one is doing. I said, you know, I'm really having some trouble with this particular class period I don't know what it is can you just watch and see what's going on sometimes it's a matter of well I'm not asking very high level questions or maybe these three students don't get along and I didn't know that they didn't get along or I had my back to a whole corner of the classroom so always being open to that feedback and being I don't want People to think you have to always be critical but just being open.
0: I mean you bring up an interesting point and I'm going to take you off target and perhaps as a another conversation where we can talk about teacher modeling. When you talk about peer mentoring, peer review, peer modeling, all of those things I think are really important in how we grow as professional educators. We did a rubric greater reliability exercise with the school district. We had 30 teachers participate in that exercise. And number one, it was surprising that they said, oh, we had no idea this is how teachers are evaluated. We've never seen the rubric on how we're evaluated. And once they had that experience, of number one, seeing the rubric of how they're evaluated and going through the process, they saw their own teaching as being very different. I think those opportunities really, really help us grow. I think having the wherewithal as you did to go to another teacher and say, can you observe me? Can you provide me some feedback? Can you fill in those gaps? Because I think that video is very, very powerful but you're still looking at it through your eyes. And sometimes you're very critical of yourself, but not always able to say, well, what else should I do differently? Having that other perspective, I think is really powerful. I think that whole mentorship, or even if it's not a formal mentorship, maybe it's just peers modeling for each other or providing feedback is so instrumental in your growth and perfecting your craft, because you have that outside perspective saying, you talk to girls more than you talk to boys. Do you know that you walk only to this side of the classroom? Do you know that you don't give this type of student certain attention? And so I think that that is really very important. I think that's something that schools should really embrace. And if schools don't embrace it, I think even as individual teachers, They should seek out someone, someone that they trust, someone that they feel very comfortable with that can provide them honest feedback. But I think that's a whole nother conversation that we can have later on. But I think that that type of teacher modeling for other teachers is equally as important as how we model for our students.
1: Absolutely. I think that, like you said, with the rubric, Knowing how you're being assessed, it doesn't matter if you are a student in fifth grade or in college or you're a teacher in the classroom, knowing what makes you meet a certain bar, where is the bar? Where is that target? We don't need to have a moving target. I think mentorship is a great conversation for us to have, especially with some guests on the show.
0: Yeah, one thing that I'm before we go, I'm particularly proud of in one of my modeling activities is how I teach in my measurement and evaluation course. Before every assignment is due, I always give them a sample assignment. We work on that assignment in class and they present it. And I used a rubric on their mock work, on their draft. And that really gives them a sense of how am I viewing them? Because there's one thing to have a rubric. And even Mm -hmm. a rubric, we see that as a very objective form of grading. I'm still reading it with my eyes and I'm interpreting that rubric with my eyes. So they get an opportunity to see, well, how is she interpreting? And that feedback is just priceless that they can get that feedback and know what to expect. And then in that moment, I can also see is this what I was expecting from them and an opportunity to step it up? I think this is this is just an excellent conversation. I think it really helps us to grow. I mean, what would you say some things, some tips that you could give to professional educators about how to grow, how to improve, how to perfect their game? I think for me is taking a moment. That moment can be different for everyone, right? You might have five minutes. That's one of the things I do miss about not being on campus is that 30 minutes to campus was a powerful reflective period for me and on the way home. So going in, I'm thinking about what needs to be done, how I'm going to construct my day, what are my goals on my way home? I kind of grade my days. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do, I kind of grade my days based on productivity and that's just how I operate. And how I would have done something differently, how can I improve in that area? Who can I reach out to to make something better? So I think taking those moments That moment is different for everyone. It can be during your exercise. It can be during your shower. It could be during your meditation or your mindfulness exercise. But I do think taking a moment and not a moment a week, I think a moment a day can really catapult you to that next level.
1: And I like what you said about doing an activity or an assignment as a class, because that gives you an opportunity to see how people are interpreting that assignment. And this could be at any level, first grade, eighth grade, high school, college. How are they interpreting the assignment that you're giving? Taking that time to reflect on, ooh, let me change the rubric, let me change the assignment directions. And I think that is a great takeaway and always uh, taking that moment
0: Excellent, Amy. So I hope that this was meaningful for our listeners and that you got something out of it of being a reflective practitioner and the importance of modeling for your students. And if you have that opportunity, especially if you are a seasoned teacher, think about peer mentoring and how you can model for another teacher. I think it's very important that we hold each other accountable and lift each other up.
1: Definitely. Until next time.
0: Until next time. But I, I, you know, practice one this time, definitely. <laughs> so, you know.
1: Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory Versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson.
0: We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching.
1: We welcome your comments and feedback What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave
0: it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the
1: match? I think it was theory probably this time.
0: Uh, Practice.
1: Until next time, we're Dr. Amy. And Dr. Joy.